Gracious God, you've promised that your holy word, which goes forth from your mouth, will not return to you empty, but it will accomplish what you desire, and it will succeed in the matter for which you have sent it. May your word have its way, we pray, in every heart this day, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Please be seated. You know, here in America, we talk a lot about diversity, but we really don't practice it. We seldom seek out people who are different from ourselves. We prefer to hang out with those who remind us of us, people who think like us, who believe like us. Discrimination racially in housing is illegal and it's no longer public policy, thankfully. And yet, neighborhoods still do not integrate. People with similar tastes and preferences tend to congregate by zip code. We're not forced to do that. We simply prefer to do that. In school, children self-segregate. Black kids hang out with black kids, white kids with white kids, Hispanic with Hispanic. So Roman numeral one in your sermon outline, humanity is tribal, or tribalistic, we might say. We group ourselves on common, based on commonalities of geography, language, social status, and so on. And, and we do this in very innocent ways without even thinking about it. For example, how many of you have visited another congregation only to be left ungreeted after the service is over? I can recall passing through St. Louis with Harriet some years ago and visiting a Lutheran congregation there. And after the service was over, everybody congregated in their little groups and we walked out the door, we walked out of the sanctuary and out the door uh, unacknowledged by anyone. And I still remember that. We gravitate toward those we already know. And it's important, and I, I get it. I mean, it's important for people to visit with one another after church service. We conduct business sometimes and talk about things, or we catch up on the news, and, and that is important too. But to a visitor, it appears to be self-segregation and it's very isolating. So, with whom would you prefer to hang out? When you walk into a crowded fellowship hall, with whom do you speak? With whom do you sit? Well, birds of a feather flock together. We segregate ourselves without thinking. And we see an extreme form of that in our gospel reading for today. Verse nine, in John chapter four, and John adds this sort of as a, as a side note, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. No dealings with Samaritans. Now that would include using the same utensils, uh, drinking cup, that sort of thing. That's probably the situation here. Jesus is asking for a drink. So that's the custom. There's a, this absolute uh, border or boundary between these two ethnic groups. And yet our Lord ignores such customs. And that should really come as no surprise. 
because throughout his ministry, Jesus, for example, he would, on the one hand, rub shoulders with the elites in society, but also with the outcast, including lepers, tax collectors, sinners, and so on, people whom the elites would shun. In last Sunday's Gospel reading, in John 3, Jesus was engaged in conversation with Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was an aristocrat. He was an, a well-educated Jewish man. He was one of the elites. Well, now, on the other hand, this morning in John 4, Jesus is speaking with a, a likely uneducated Samaritan woman whose love life is a train wreck. But Jesus has very friendly and very frank conversations with both of them. And there's nothing to suggest that he's uncomfortable with either, and he seems to be at home with both. So I ask you, what does this say about Jesus? What does it reveal about him when a man can converse comfortably with people at extreme opposite ends of the social scale? And, and what does it suggest? What might it suggest about us and the way we are? You know, for all of our talk about diversity today, we're still very tribal. Some people in our society even speak about having a borderless world. But all of us, in truth, remain very border conscious. Each of us does in our personal lives. We still lock our doors, and we still confine ourselves socially to people who are like us and who reinforce what we think. Now, I would highly recommend crossing certain boundaries. Uh, for example, uh, the Pride Alliance here in Columbus doesn't meet anymore. Uh, they don't meet anymore because they've accomplished uh, all of their objectives. There's no reason for them to meet. According to them, I'm, I'm not saying that for them. That's what they say. But before they disbanded, I used to go to the meetings for a, a couple of years, two or three years. I would attend the meetings. And, and I would say to them, I don't agree with some of your beliefs, but I, I want to learn from you. And doggone it, I kind of like you too. And they respected that, and they appreciated the fact that I would show up at the meetings. Now, I would encourage you, I would encourage anyone else to ignore our own self-imposed boundaries and and put yourself out there with people you don't know or people who are different. Jesus would, and he did. Roman numeral two, Jesus doesn't celebrate diversity. He ignores it. Now, I, I'm not saying it's wrong to celebrate diversity. I am saying that it's not enough. Because merely celebrating diversity does not go far enough in creating a community. God is out to create community. And he will do that through Jesus. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now, with that request, Jesus has just crossed two boundaries. Not, not only would a Jew not speak to Samaritan, 
But a rabbi would not speak, ordinarily, would not speak to a woman. I've never quite figured that out. I would assume he would speak to his wife. But in public, anyway, there would not be this dialogue between a rabbi and a woman. But that doesn't stop Jesus, because I think Jesus understands what we often forget. Sometimes the best way to gain another soul is to ask a favor of that soul. And, and Jesus, it's really brilliant what he does. He, make, he makes himself dependent upon her. I mean, he's thirsty, and so he makes a reasonable request. Under any other circumstances, that would be a very reasonable request. Under these, it's quite odd and strange, but he does it. He does it. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Now, she's right about that. He is a Jew. But what she doesn't yet realize, that he's also much more than that. You see, Jesus' importance goes far beyond any uh, ethnic identity. It goes far beyond any earthly boundaries. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus reveals himself in a global way. He, is, he, he comes across as universal. Jesus transcends geographic, ethnic, and social boundaries. So if, if I could illustrate it, it might be like this. Um, if you've ever been to an Indianapolis Indians ball game, you know, uh, before the game begins, they have these nice white chalk lines, right, between home plate and first base, between home plate and third, and outlining the batter's boxes, right? And so when the game begins and the first batter steps up into the batter's box, what does he do? What does he always do? He'll, he'll take his foot and he'll start to kick away that chalk line. He's going to eliminate that batter's box delineation. Why? Why? Because he wants to transcend that box. He wants to go outside the box. He wants to get as far back as he can to give himself as much time as he can to see and then hopefully hit the ball. Right, my friends, in the very same way, Jesus erases these man-made boundaries that we use to differentiate ourselves one from another and which actually impede or obscure the gospel. Now, Jesus will respect God's boundaries all day long, okay? Uh, marriage is the lifelong union between one man and one woman. He makes that clear in Matthew 19. And, and, and he also makes clear uh, gender boundaries. God created the male and female. So he respects God's boundaries, but he will not necessarily respect the ones we make up for ourselves. Roman numeral three, Jesus identifies sin as common to all people. We think up other things to, to sort of commonize ourselves and our groups, but Jesus will identify sin as what all of us truly have in common. Now, verse, verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. <laughs> and what Jesus does next is amazing. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. Now, notice, he doesn't call her a sinner. He says, Go, call your husband and come here. He speaks in such a way that will allow her and enable her 
to acknowledge her own sinfulness. Verse 17, the woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband. For you've had five, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. You see, Jesus undermines the illusion that all of us like to live under, that our tribalistic differences really do matter when they don't. They're purely man-made distinctions that Jesus feels free to ignore, and he will. What Christ will not ignore is what we all really do have in common. As the scripture says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And there is no one righteous, no, not one. Roman numeral four. Saving faith identifies Jesus as common to all people. Jesus, faith acknowledges him as what all of us have in common. And all humanity shares Jesus in some way or another. Verse 42, the very end of the, uh, of the gospel reading, the Samaritan said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Now, the Samaritans are not disparaging the woman's testimony. They're simply confirming her testimony. And it's, so it may seem surprising to us that these Samaritans would embrace a Jewish Messiah, but they do it, they accept him, because they know that this Jewish Messiah is not against the Samaritans, he is rather for them. And he is for you, and he is for me as well, because he is the Savior of the world. Saving faith in Jesus does not focus on differences between people. In fact, faith does not see other people at all as your or my primary problem. Rather, saving faith sees self as the primary problem that each one of us must confront. You see, my problem is really not what others do or say. My problem, according to Scripture, is largely my own response to what others do or say, or what I think they might be doing or saying. I can't remove the speck from my brother's eye until I admit the log in my own. Faith in Jesus moves us to identify with our fellow sinners and to point us to the common Savior. Sin divides, Jesus unites. And the most fundamental unity that we share with all people everywhere, in every time and every place, is Jesus Christ, who made us all and who redeemed us all. Now, I'm not saying that all will be in heaven or that all believe that. Not all do. But what he did, he did for all. That means you too. The Samaritans said it best. We know indeed that this is the Savior of the world. We are inherently tribal. Thankfully, God is inherently not. The scripture says, and he hath made of one blood all the people of the earth. And more than that, it's through the blood of one man that God has redeemed all the people of the earth. And so, if you feel distant 
from anyone today, maybe, just maybe, it's because you've grown distant from Christ. If so, repent. Repent. Return to the Lord and know that the closer you are to Jesus, the closer you are to everyone else. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Please stand. We confess together the ancient faith in the words of the Nicene Creed, page 11. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.